What is up, everybody? Welcome to ECB After Hours. It's, uh, it's been a while since we've done this, but on a day like today in the college basketball landscape where we had top 10 matchup after top 10 matchup, rivalry game after rivalry game, and then a lot of other under-the-radar games that we talked to you about a little bit on Thursday, I thought it was apropos that uh, we go to an ECB after hours show as we sit here on 10.52 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, I've got with me my teammates Peyton Burton making his return for the first time in a couple shows, Trevor Everett, and we will be joined by our other teammate Michael DeRosa. Boys, this is late night. Uh, it's almost at the very end of a wild Saturday afternoon and evening of college basketball. Uh, Kentucky, Tennessee officially about to wrap up in 30 seconds. Tennessee's got this one in the bag. Your guys' thoughts, because we have a lot of craziness to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to be talked about. Um, we had three top ten matchups on this one. We got one tomorrow, Wisconsin taking on Purdue. I talked to Josh earlier when we went out to eat. That outside of, like, any, like, NTEs or, like, conference tournaments or, like, March Madness, anything like the Champions Classic games, like, this might be the biggest slate of games, like, I've seen in a while. Three top ten matchups, all of them pretty much were blowouts for the most part, um, besides maybe Duke, North Carolina. That was at least a little bit closer. But, although, you know, I had a good time, and I mentioned in the Facebook group. I'll save it in a minute. <laughs> yeah. There's some receipts to be held. I've heard some stuff. I haven't been on the show here in a while. Um, I got my Kansas view on, obviously, but I'll be patient. I've got some stuff to say. I'm sure you do. I'll be brief. It's the best weekend minus conference championship weekend slash the last regular season weekend of the, of the season. That's And it's really smart because it seems – I don't remember it being like this, but I know Duke Carolina always play each other the last game of the season – um, but a lot of these matchups, like they even mentioned on the broadcast, Kentucky-Tennessee will be playing each other that same weekend again. So like yep. it seems like they keep stacking. I don't know if that's like a – maybe I just missed the last couple of years on that, but I'm glad Strategic. that they are. This is this is the weekend that's not the last weekend that is the biggest one. And we got yeah. – you know, we still got quality basketball throughout the entire day. In and out of the window for, for the first two hours for me. Um, was multi-boxing twice uh, numerous times there, but basically from – from 4.15, 4.30 when I was texting y'all, I was home on, I was ready. So that's why we're talking about the three big games tonight. Yeah, um, a, a lot of stuff we got to get into. And I, I think no better way to start it. And by the way, we are live on the YouTube, the Twitter. If you're following along with us, leave your comments below. We will get to them. That's what we kind of do here. So have fun following along. We've got some live people in the chat right now. So appreciate the hell that. Leave your comments below. Whatever you think about the, the big games today, we will get to them. Um, Kentucky, Tennessee about to go final. Looks like Tennessee is about to put a hundo up on the board in Rupp Arena. But let's start with the first of the three big ones that we consider the big top 10 matchups. The first time Houston goes on the road, period. Oh, let me rephrase that. The first time Houston plays the Big 12 big dogs in the Big 12, Kansas, much less they go on the road to do so in Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Houston comes in this game ranked number four. Kansas was ranked number eight in our ECB top 25 this week as DeRosa joins us. Houston found out real quick that even though the standings say one thing, and the three of us, Trev, myself, and Michael on Thursday's show, kind of talked about this, how Kansas's back's against the wall on the way. They've already got three conference losses. A loss today would have dropped them to five and four and pretty much out of the Big 12 race, barring some late season kind of win streak. They showed Houston in their first encounter in conference uh, conference rivals that the Big 12 
we'll still run through them whether they like it or not. Kansas, 78-65, and if we're being honest, it wasn't that close the majority of the game. Had it not been for LJ Cryer in that second half going nutty, this could have been a 20-25 point game. Fellas, I'll let you start because I know Peyton's going to top this off and gloat a little bit. So I'll go with you guys. Your initial reactions to Kansas's domination for 40 minutes against a very good Houston team. Yeah, I, I'll be brief because I think it was it was the game that they needed from an awakening standpoint, I think, offensively. And that's exactly what they did against one of the nation's, well, let me be clear, the nation's best defense coming in. Um, I saw some really good stuff from space on rolls and screens. Like, they were getting to the rim with ease. It's like Houston just wasn't communicating well on a lot of those screens where, honestly, Adams, I felt like, was way more effective in pick and roll than Dickinson was, which obviously I know you Dickinson, you want to give him space there within that 10, 15-foot range because you know he can make that shot more capably than anybody on this team. So, look, I think they were doing things really well. They were executing, and obviously that, that comes down to self, and I know that he had these guys prepared. I had that as a note written down to bring up. You know, Cryer, obviously, you mentioned in the second half, wasn't afraid of the moment. He, of course, has experience playing in the field house. He uh, played there at Baylor for a few years, so he knows what that building is like. You could tell that that energy and that excitement for him, although he didn't look – you know, he just looked completely like ready. Like he just had that like just stoic look on his face constantly in, in the second half there. I think you get more than three from him in the first half. This is a completely different game. But the rest of Houston offensively wasn't ready. But again, credit to Kansas. Seven assists to Kansas's one uh or sorry, seven assists for Kansas. Yeah, to Houston's one with ten minutes left in the first half. That immediately was already just showing me everything I needed to know quickly from the get go and I had to catch up a little bit. But just Kansas was cutting hard. Like I said, pick and roll screens were effective. And it just was an offensive masterclass that I think, again, they just they needed to get one like that here under their belt. And again, I think even more speaking to that confidence against the best defense in the country, that has to feel really good. DeRosa, Trev talked about it just a little bit there about pick and roll defense. I was so impressed with Kansas's defensive, their, their game planning in this game. Every time Houston went to a ball screen, Kansas either – flat out with the Dickinson and Adams either flat out hard hedge that or they would play kind of what I like to call medium hedging where it's not a full drop but it's not necessarily a complete yeah. hedge and they played a gap between with the you know both of them long and athletic they played gap so Houston had a hard time getting to the rim they turned them into jump shooters especially in that first half and Kansas absolutely dog walked them on their own defensive end clearing the glass, getting out transition when it was apropos to run. And then Trev talked about it too. Kansas's game plan to just back up because Houston's amazing with their traps, both in the high post, picking up on ball screens when you pick the ball up. Kansas knew that coming in. They knew they would be overextended on the wings trying to deny passes. And Kansas went to the back cuts, got easy layup after easy layup. This was a very impressive to me. And I text Peyton and the guys, this was the best Kansas has looked all year. 100%. Uh, when you just, I mean, just looking at the box score, one team had 69 shot attempts, one team had 45. Normally you'd expect the team that had 69 shot attempts to win. They did not. Houston didn't make shit from the field. Kansas shot nearly 70% from the floor. I mean, I feel like that kind of says it all, but if that doesn't, I'll add a little another stat. One team had 18 turnovers. One team had three. You'll never guess who had 18 turnovers. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It was Kansas. They made everything kansas literally made everything i mean you mentioned the back cuts i feel like mcculler had like it felt like whenever i watched this Furfy game whenever well. I would look away mcculler just catch backdoor dunk just i mean just a complete dissection yeah, yeah. no notes other than that kansas yeah. this game was over 
after the first tip. It wasn't even just like Josh just mentioned Furphy. There was multiple plays where Adams like would come off with some kind of pin down and like it was like almost like a like a fake pin down where it was like, okay, we know he's not we know he's not gonna go to the three point line, right? We know he's gonna roll the other way, right? But they just like he would do that move and they would fall for it. And I was like, Well, and he's open. And if he wasn't, like if they cut the back screen off that was coming on the other side, then again, McCullough would be just sprinting the other direction and just catch it and throw it up. And it's like when that kind of ball movement's happening, there's just there's nothing any defense, regardless of what Houston's caliber is. I've made that claim very clear, but there's nothing you can do when a team is moving the ball ball that well and also moving off the ball that well. It's a ridiculously dangerous combination that can catch any really good defense off guard. Peyton, we talk about it a lot of times about Kansas. The what scares us is the bench play. But moving Johnny Furphy into the starting lineup has completely opened up this Kansas offense because now you have a 6'10 guy who's able to stretch out and shoot. What do you go from three today? He went three or four from three, didn't miss a shot inside the three-point line. Kansas, to DeRosa's point, 25 of 32 from inside the three-point line for 78%. That is scorching the nets. And as we talked about, a lot of them was like layups. A lot of them were backdoor cuts for dunks and layups that are Dickinson around the rim. Peyton, Kansas's offense, they went a lot of four out, one in, sometimes five out to avoid those traps. And you taught you Texas early on elite ball movement. You gotta feel great about your Jayhawks performance today. <sighs> y'all done for now, at least. Like <laughs> y'all done. Um, everything you guys said on the podcast, previewing this game, you're absolutely correct. Um, I agree with all of your guys' statements. But the fact that you three, no, shut up, shut up. The fact (laughs) that you three all decided to pick Houston in this game, in the fog, Allen Fieldhouse, I don't know what the fuck y'all were thinking. I texted DeRosa, like, I don't even know, 10 minutes in the first half. Why the fuck would you guys do that? Because the game was pretty much over then. That happened. I don't understand why you all <laughs> decide. And he even said, like, he's like, after they both agreed with me, like, I knew we were fucked. I'm like, obviously. <laughs> like, you <laughs> don't pick against Kansas in the fall, especially in a big game like that one. I mean, we are, like, I don't even know, like, 14-1 and one against top 10 opponents who are, like, ahead of us and stuff. When they come to the fog, we haven't even lost, like, five and no against top five teams who come to the fog. Like it's ridiculous. And I called in some favors because I said, this was going to be a very special after show. I called in some of my Jayhawk fans, some of my fellow Jayhawk fans. One, both of these guys has actually been on the show. One of them is a bracketologist. His name is Jonathan Warner. He sent in a voice clip. He was, he was actually at this game. He got to he experience this game live. Shout he out Jonathan, me, by the way. He sent me a message, by the way, and I showed it to Josh, and I said I was going to wait. He sent me a DM on Twitter. It's like, hey, you got to get out. You got to talk all the trash to these guys, all three of your colleagues you picked against Kansas in the fog. And I'm like, don't worry, bro. I got you. Very I was true. I was already <laughs> planning on doing it. And I had them send in the voice clip. So this is Jonathan Warner from makingthebrackets.com. I think that's what the fucking name is. I hope so. But here's Jonathan Warner. I hope you guys can hear this shit if it loads. Hey, guys, just letting you know, not to bet against Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse. It is a losing strategy, especially if they're playing a top five teams. Top five teams are now 0-14 at Allen Fieldhouse when Kansas is the lower-ranked team. 
if you are looking to make some selections, do not bet against Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse. It is a losing strategy. Just if, especially now, if they give you free money, they make Houston the favorite. Bet Kansas money line. It's gonna hit. That's all I'm gonna say. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> shout out Jonathan Warner of makingthemadness.com. Well, you know what? I'm not going to shout him out because he doesn't follow my ass on Twitter. So you know what I did? I muted every single second of that. I didn't hear a solitary second of that shit. If you want you want me to listen to your shit, follow me back on Twitter, dickhead. Please. Don't follow him I'm back. I'm always right. Don't, I'm always don't, right. Don't follow him All back. All right, Peyton, you've got your gloating out. Seriously, I'm, though. Back on, to the I'm game. done. Okay, come on. Come you, on. Think that, you think I, I said 30-minute show clips. my ass. I didn't Yeah, care. Listen, shut up. I, I, it's your fault. Y'all done to yourself. If y'all would have just picked Kansas like small individuals, then we wouldn't have this problem. I would have came – I probably wouldn't even been on the show at this point. By the point. way, I'd still put Houston in a there. rematch in the, in the championship game, just for what it's worth. Yeah, well, we'll run this back at Houston last game of the season. But last clip, it's a little bit longer. Not too much longer. But obviously, Tyler Cook. You just know play it. it. Shut the fuck up. What's up, ECB fellas? Josh, Trevor, DeRosa. I think he forgot. Pretty sure you guys forgot that the game between Houston and Kansas was in Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I know that home court advantage there is the best there is in the country. Last 10 times, well, 11 times now, they're 11 and one against top 10 opponents that walk through that field house. Calvin Sampson had to deal with it from 1994 until 2006. Came back with a different club. Houston still paid the same price. Left with a loss. A decisive loss against one of the best defensive teams in the country that Houston had. So it's not very often I get to do this that you guys all missed, which is good for you guys because you're usually pretty good. But you miss this one. Swing and a miss, struck out. Larry Curley and Mo on this one, guys. Three Stooges, I'm sorry. Just like everybody else, tonight Houston paid heed to Fall Gallon Fieldhouse. Oh my God. You know what? <laughs> that three speeches fu- line was amazing. The, that was excellent. The funniest part Very of that is he called the funniest part of that, and I love Cook to Death. Shout out to him. But he's terrible in names. He called Kelvin Sampson Calvin. Calvin, Sampson. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Bill Self about halfway through that. I'm like, did he? Did you find a way to get Bill Self a record? <laughs> oh, like the accent God. was starting to throw me off. I was like, I really don't didn't know who it was. I bet, so. I bet Cook was yeah. drinking a little bit. Shout wow. out Cook, one of my best friends. He was the original co-host with me and Peyton. <laughs> well, I'm, we're going to put like a ban on Kansas if we get a voicemail every time we pick against them. Like we're going to put a ban on them or something. It's no, just, that was all. Fog. Just don't pick against them at the fog. But no. talking about this game, I was I was very happy of how well we played for 40 minutes. I mean, it was a 40-minute ass-whooping. And, no, Houston's a great fucking team. They're going to figure it out. But just coming in, fo- come in the fog in, like, their first AP top 10 game of the season, that's tough to do. 
So the odds weren't in their favor, even though that for some reason they were the favorites in this game. Um, I thought LJ Carr, he played amazing in the second half. If it wasn't for him, this would have been even worse than what it was. Um, we won 78-65. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the pick and rolls. Like, they like to blitz the pick and rolls. I thought we did a great job. K.J. Adams is one of the best, like, short roll guys in the country. Like, the fact that he's able to create so many um, offensive problems for teams on that short roll action is incredible. Chev, wake the fuck up. Um, and I think Kansas did what we needed to do. We came out with a statement win. Uh, we're now one game back. It's like a three-way tie for first place. Big 12 right now is crazy. but Yeah, because so Texas Tech got beat too. Yeah, I think Texas Tech and Iowa State's tied for first right now, I think. Uh, but Kansas is a game back. So early in the Big 12. You know, this game's going to happen again at the end of the season. It's going to be fun in Houston to watch that game. But uh, watch out, Jayhawk. Don't pick against my boys in the fog. All right, all the fun and games aside, that was a great win for Kansas. That was an amazing win because they put 40 minutes together. I'm still concerned as hell about their bench, but Johnny Furphy added, now they go from four legitimate guys to five. Houston's going to be all right. Jamal Sheed did not get off at all. I think the size, I think the atmosphere, I think a lot of things went wrong for him. LJ Cryer, he's a big game player, especially like you put him up against Kansas, he's going to go off. I think for Houston, though, in order for them to hit their peak of being in Phoenix in the Final Four and winning a national title in games like this, it can't just be Cryer going off. Emmanuel Sharp's got to be there. They've got to have Jamal Sheed playing at the best of his ability, and their bigs are going to have to start giving them a little something. that They don't have to be great, but they got to give them something. Today, they gave them nothing. So both teams are really good. Kansas is starting to figure things out now. Great win. Let's go on to... The rivalry, it was game day was there today. Big time atmosphere in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Tobacco Road, North Carolina, 93, Duke, 84. Fellas, I know Carolina, we talked about on Thursday, coming off of a loss on the road at Georgia Tech. I think we can definitely just kind of throw that as a one-off on the road because this North Carolina team, not only can they make the final four, they can win the whole damn thing. We got vintage Armando Baycott tonight. And then you've got a closer in R.J. Davis. And how about Harrison Ingram? 21 points, 13 rebounds, a couple steals, a couple of assists. Guys, Carolina can win the whole damn thing this year. I'll start with your – you mentioned Ingram, so I'll just roll right off of that and I'll say this. Actually, one of the one of the most highlighted things I have written down, I know R.J. Davis is incredible. I know he's the All-American, the leader of the team. But this team goes as far as Harrison Ingram will take them. I will 100% will put the stamp on that because he is fourth double-double in the last five games, takes humongous pressure off the glass for Baycott on the defensive end. It allows Baycott to be more available as an offensive glass crasher, as we know. I've seen it many times as a fan, but also we know that what he can be over the last five years and how effective he is in that regard. Um, I was really impressed from Duke, with Duke. I do want to make that clear. Like I wasn't sitting here walking away going, okay, I agree with your sentiments that UNC is a, a number one seed, without a doubt, you know, national title contender, as we all believe. Can't wait to see how they actually turn around after all, all this hype and momentum, I get to see him in uh, Dean Dome on Tuesday against Clemson, who had a rough outing today against Virginia. It's going to be interesting to see how they, you know, to these two teams handle that adversity. Um, I think I think winning momentum and hype against your biggest rival is sometimes adversity. I do think that actually can hurt you. So I'm interested to see how they handle that. They're a good team. I think they will. Um, they got out in transition early. They sped it up. This game completely. 
controlled the tempo from the Carolina side. And, and that, honestly, UNC never led by fewer than seven in the second half. And they're super, super strong at keeping games in their hands. That Georgia Tech game, it was never in their hands. It was such a back and forth. Coach Stoudemire's team got out in front of that game. And they were really, really fast, and they were playing with them and controlling the tempo on their side. Um, UNC, they can win the game when they control the tempo. Um, I mentioned the Duke thing really quick. I was impressed by McCain. He was there in a big moment. Obviously, Duke freshmen we know have been in big moments in the Dean Dome. Austin River is probably the most famous example, of course, as oh, we yeah, all know. Game winner, but, yeah. but at the end of the day, like you need big freshmen to step up if you're going to be Duke and you're continue to win and get what Shire calls or Duke calls the the Coach K shots or the Duke shots, the things that have, have made them so successful. And McCain can hit those shots, uh, and he's been really, really good for them. But honestly, again, back to my point at the beginning, control the pace. Ingram is a complete game changer one of the best uh, transfers in the country uh, coming into the season i thought elliot cadeau early on with his speed actually really impacted the game carolina was just the faster team they were faster to lose balls they were faster to all that sort of stuff i really thought that changed the game and their ball pressure early on forced turnovers from duke and then they kind of eased into it after that harrison ingram hit big shot after big shot I, even though the box score doesn't say much for Cadell, I was impressed with him, at least definitely early in the game. I think he definitely slowed as the game got on, but I thought he made a couple really huge plays. He was first to lose balls. He forced pressure. Like one of Cormac Ryan's steals, they didn't even mention it on the broadcast because I think, it, I don't remember if it was Foster or McCain was the ball handler through this like weird little jump pass, but they wouldn't have thrown that if Cadell wasn't like right in their grill. And mm-hmm. Ryan ended up jumping the passing lane because, like, it was a really bad pass. It was like a clear, easy layup. It's like that was Cadeau who really drew that turnover, and I don't think he got any credit for it, which is weird to me. I thought Cadeau played a great game. You guys mentioned Harrison Ingram. The box score says it all for Ingram. Uh, five and nine from three, eight to twelve from the field, twenty-one points. He was absolutely excellent. Thirteen boards, four steals, four, four steals. steals. He was excellent, absolutely excellent in this game. And for Duke, they really couldn't hit anything outside of in the paint. Of their 84 points, 54 of them were in the paint. Even with that, I still thought Duke was the softer team at times. I thought North Carolina was just playing a little more physical. Duke was trying to be more like, uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Like more finesse. Finesse. finesse, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finesse, more yeah. finesse. Yeah. Well, it shows, it shows it's a foul line, too. Duke only shot 11 of them. At halftime, they had, I think, like one or two. I mean, they were not being aggressive enough to get the line. I think they settled for a lot of jump shots. It was either a lot of made dunks, layups, and threes, or settling for a lot of jump shots, which wasn't conducive to get into the line. Carolina outshot them at the free throw line, 18 to 25 to Duke's 9 of 11. You talked about things not showing up in the box set. Carolina, part of the reason that they've been on this run of winning 10 of the last 11, notwithstanding the Georgia Tech loss, obviously, is guys like Seth Trimble. 19 minutes off the bench tonight, 10 points, and all the little things. Putting defensive pressure on guys, being in the gaps at the right times, getting hands on balls, making the right pass. Him and Jalen Withers link to be able to, when they switch on the ball screens, he can step out. Now, you don't necessarily want him guarding like really elite guards, but if he gets matched up on a guard with the ball, he can hold his own, especially if they try to take him to the rim. He can block their shot. It's the role players who are stepping up in North Carolina to complement the main guys, North Carolina is so dangerous right now. The Duke end of things, I don't think they played bad. I think they just ran into a really good team on their home floor. And to Trev's point, Carolina kept them at arm's distance pretty much that whole second half. I am, whatever happened, I don't, sometimes you just can't explain it. But Tyrese Proctor only having two points in 26 minutes was disappointing. 
I think in order for Duke to hit a ceiling that which they want, which is a Final Four, of course, they've got to get good production in the key moments from Tyrese Proctor. He's too good not to be playing or at least contributing more than that. To me, Proctor's got to be better, but I like what Trev said. Jared McCain, 23 points, paced him. Phil Pouske had 22, and I didn't even think it was a good 22. I think he had good moments, but of course, of a 40-minute game, I don't even think it was a good 22, which shows how good he can be. Quickly to the point on Proctor real quick. It, it Do you know the only – does anyone know off the top of their head how he scored his only two points? I had it written down because it was notable. Nope. Uh, not 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 off the top of my head. I watched the game, but not off attacking top of my head. The, I can't. Attacking the rim off a ball screen. When he attacks the rim, he's an incredible player. I've seen him play in person enough times now to tell you that he is the best player on the floor offensively. When he can get to the rim, it forces defenses to crash completely, and they have to because he can make those shots at an efficient clip. I don't care what the stats say. He's a he's a great finisher near the rim. I know we think of him as this guy that can be a pass first, you know, point guard, but also can be a guy like that, right? Very similar to how Zakai uh, Ziegler played tonight. We'll get to that in a second, I'm sure, but. Like, he can be really effective. His only two points in 20, like you said, some minutes. I know he's still recovering from the ankle injury. I'm going to give him credit for that because he should be playing more than 20 minutes. We are 20-something. He should be in the 30s in this game, right? This is a game he's built for these moments. We've seen him in years past. But getting to the rim on that ball screen is super, super effective, and he has to get there. He has to be attacking quickly. What the hell is that? The fuck are you laughing at? So, okay. Sorry, I was scrolling through Twitter. I'm sorry, Trev. Uh, you guys know what happened at the UCLA game, the Oregon game, how they didn't oh, do, we have, yeah. do we have a conclusion oh on that? Like, did so, that game yeah, actually they start? They didn't get to the game. The game started. They were down 23-5. to five. They're now yeah. winning at halftime. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Okay. All right. They stayed at the hotel extra long. <laughs> yeah. That took them a while to wake up. That's all it was. Peyton, your thoughts on right. Duke Carolina, because I think we're all in agreement. Carolina can win the whole damn thing. Oh, 100%. They're the clear favorites to win the ACC now, especially after Clemson just falling off their fucking planet and Miami not being the team that they were last year and Duke slowing to slowly go downhill just a little bit. Carolina's definitely the class of the fucking ACC conference. And, you know, it just, I go back to that Kentucky game. They very well could have won that Kentucky game if Elliot Cadeau didn't fuck up that one play in the game and turn that ball over. They very, very well could have won that game. Um, I mean, they put up almost 100 points on Duke, uh, 93 points. I mean, this team offensively was just great. And defensively, you know, they gave up 84. I think they played pretty solid in, in stretches. Um, I mean, R.J. Davis had 17. Amanda Bacot, 25 and 10. Five assists, too, for a big guy. Yeah, that's um, a good point. We didn't even talk about that. Bacot I mean, with five assists. And if you watch to that point, Duke tried to double down on him, especially when he started getting going. They tried to bring the help side, and he was smart enough. Old Baycott would have just spun into that double team or held 100%. the ball up and turned it over. He 100%. surveyed the lands. He surveyed the landscape, kicked it out. That's a great point on the assist because it's not often you see that. His development there, if you can't double team him, you can't stop Carolina now. No. You can't stop him if you can't double and get the ball out of his hands. That's a great point, Peyton. Peyton made a great point about Cadeau, too, right down the Kentucky game. It came up, you know, that that weird call with, like, the hook and hold, whatever. Like, that's its own thing. But Cadeau turned it over. I think it was a turnover. Something happened with Cadeau at the final few minutes here that felt like gave Duke a little bit of life. And you saw this moment from Davis where he, like, looked at him and was like, you got it. Keep it under control. Everything's good. And obviously that speaks to Davis as a coach. But he's seen that moment that 
basically could have lost, you know, it lost in the Kentucky game, but there's a lot more factors to it, but it didn't yeah. help, right? Peyton makes a great point there. And I bring it up because you could see that there was this immense amount of trust. Obviously, he's a freshman point guard, should be a senior in high school. DeRosa made that point last whatever day we did, Thursday. And the point I bring up is it's so important to see that kind of growth because if you're going to be a freshman who should be a senior in high school, leading a national, we all just said it, national championship contender team that right now, I, I've said it, you know, whatever, a week and a half ago, I would have them, you know, in the top three right now to win the title. And if we, if you're going to do that, you have to trust your freshman point guard. Otherwise, RJ Davis may have to go back to being a lead point guard later in the year. If they don't trust him, they clearly do. And that showed at the end of this game. Yeah. And you don't want RJ because he's so much better playing off ball. He can play point guard, but you want him to be getting the pin downs, running the floppy off the baseline because he's a catch and shoot extraordinaire. Cadeau is going to like that progression little by little makes them an even stronger team. Great win for North Carolina Duke. Nothing to panic about. Like sometimes you just play a, a really good team on their home floor. And I, I I think what I think this, that little scuffle you talked about, the hook and hold, it got a little chippy. I think when we see the return game here in about a month or in a couple weeks in Cameron, I think Duke players are going to remember that. I think you'll see them come trying to throw the first punch right away. And it could be interesting coming Cameron indoor time. But great win for North Carolina. I just never want to hear another word about another rivalry ever again being close. I just want to make that completely clear. I've said that for months with you guys. I don't care who's winning and who's not and who's good. I've said it a thousand times. By the way, y'all know this. The people listening might not. I hate them both, right, as a fan. But as a college basketball journalist, as somebody that does this and really enjoys this and tries to be honest, both these teams are the two best in almost every, any sport. I know there's soccer and football has a lot of different things to compare to it. But I promise you this is the best rivalry in college basketball. And I'm not backing down from that, and people should understand that. Well, let's go on to another good rivalry within conference play and state borderlines. It just ended as we were going live here on the broadcast. Tennessee 103, Kentucky 92. Um, Tennessee jumped out to NATO lead, never looked back. They never trailed in this ballgame. Every single time Kentucky would make a run and get it to two, three, four points. They could not capitalize. Tennessee would come down and hit a shot, and it would go back to seven, eight, nine, ten points, and stayed that way the entire game. A lot of individual performances I want to talk about from both teams here, but um, your initial reaction. And by the way, without looking, anybody want to take a guess where Kentucky's uh, defensive ranking and Ken Palm went up to after tonight? Up to? Well, up to. I gave up 103. I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. Up, not. Not oh, the down number. In a good I got you. I got you. Oh, yeah. What the like, fuck? Uh, sorry. Let 102. Me uh, 103. <laughs> 103 is you, <laughs> you already knew. No, you already knew. No, I the score. That's no, Tennessee no. score 103. I was going to say that. Yeah. Uh, I just yeah. said 103 just to fuck with DeRosa. Yeah, I just <laughs> said 102 just because I said 103 because the state Tennessee gave up. They put 103 points. Hey, you guys go. didn't look good. Good guess because I'm it went up to 103. It went up to 103, and here's Shit. how crazy. Here's how crazy this. <laughs> Get fucked, pussy. Here's how crazy it is. Just after last week's Arkansas game, coming in this week, they'd got it down to number 70. Now it's jumped up 33 spots in the course of a week. So, I mean, Tennessee, we know they're good. Like we know they're good. They shot out of their mind compared to standards. Like coming in, they're 33 points. 33% three-point shooting team. They went 12 of 30 for 40%. It was at 46.7% at halftime. They kind of shot out of their mind. 
the scary thing about this is Dalton Connect going at 16, and really none of them were outside of a buck or two in the first half where he just hit a tough mid-range pull-up he's known for. None of them were really impressive, um, and they still put 103 up on Kentucky. So let's talk about the Tennessee end of things first. What do you guys take away from this Tennessee victory? Uh, I did not expect Josiah Jordan James to do what he did in this game. 26 points, 9 to 18 from the field. He had four three-pointers out of nine attempts. Made all of his free throws, had five rebounds, did not turn the ball over a single time. I thought defensively he played great. And offensively, obviously, he produced more than anybody on this fucking on this game. Um, him and Vescovi or him and Ziggler both had 26. Nick, obviously, you mentioned at 16. I thought Josiah Jordan James, I did not expect him to be the difference maker in this game, but he absolutely coming into this game, he definitely was. And I feel like he is a big reason why Tennessee um pretty much they dominated this whole entire game. I didn't even realize at the time, and I was paying attention to the majority of this game, I didn't even realize that Kentucky really never led in this game. They never like, led once. At all, like, never led at all. Like, I thought never for sure. Once. I knew they was tied a couple times. I thought for sure they had Lisa one-point lead at one point. But, no, Tennessee just bullied them the whole entire game. Um, The thing that, like, uh, Josh mentioned it. Like, the thing that's scary – about Tennessee is we knew that Ziegler's good, right? We knew coming back from a you know injury, we knew that it was going to take some time to have. I wrote down specifically the first half stats really quick. Um, obviously, he's facilitating and scoring at a high level. He's incredible, right? He's somebody that changes the whole dynamic of your offense. Um, he had four first half assists. Obviously, it ended up leading to way more. So this point was more relevant if we did this at halftime. But four first half assists only led to eight Dalton Connect points, and obviously thirteen assists only led to sixteen Dalton Connect points. He was five of fourteen from the field. I on the other side, I is it not time to start Rob Dillingham? Like it just it is. Like I'm let me just be clear. I'm not asking it the is. question. I'm saying it is. I'm saying it isn't from my point perspective, but I'm sure people may disagree with that. But it has to be time at this point, right? Especially without Wagner. You knew you needed like the spark is fine, right? He had 17 first half points if I got that right. But like you can't afford to not feel like you're ever going to get control of the game, right? Like, I'm never going to sit here and tell you that they weren't in this game at any point. They were, right? They never led. We already established that. But they kept. They had these moments where it felt like they were finally going to get that run. And then I wrote down multiple times. What did I I said it on Thursday. I said, you know, isolation. I'll read it verbatim. Isolation, step back, contested, deep, two-point shots. I know that's a mouthful, sorry. With nine seconds on the shot clock are bad shots. The ball has to continue to move. I know Tennessee's defense is – oh, by the way, you want to guess who did that, by the way? It was Reeves, of course. But theoretically, bailed him, bailed him out on that offensive rebound. Put back, right? Like, I'm not singling out Reeves here. I, there was multiple times where even the commentators, the broadcast were like, they took these these early shot clock shots, and that can kill you when you're already in a game, you're having to claw your way back up like you're ice-picking up a mountain. Sorry for the ridiculous examples tonight. It's late. No, it But the point is, it just it doesn't help you. You're already, you're, you're already you know, sh shot yourself in the foot from that regard, so don't already continue to put yourself in a deeper hole is all I was going to say. But start Rob Dillingham at this point. I agree with that. Uh, DeRosa, Josiah Jordan James, 26 points tonight. And hey, what'd he go? Five or four of nine from three. All four of them, he was wide open. I mean, wide open. You would think after a guy hits a couple, even if he's not a great percentage shooter, you know, he's in a rhythm. And sometimes there's nights that that happens. You would think you would get up and maybe close out on the guy. He had target practice all night. Yeah, and this was the game he needed. He was in a slump for quite a while before this game. I don't think he hit double figures in the last – it was a decent amount of games. Like, there were a couple games where it 
he might even been scoreless hell. Uh, so him going for 24 and basically a lot of easy shots I thought was huge, but I thought Zakai Ziegler controlled this entire game. I think from tip to finish, he was the best player on the floor in my eyes. Uh, Dillingham hit some incredible shots. Like, don't take anything away from Rod Dillingham. He had an insane game. I mean, he hit some shots that it was just like, holy shit, man, that kid was on. Uh, Yeah, he should be starting because the lineup Cal ran out there, like, that's four wings-ish with Reed Shepard. I feel like you could use a dynamic point guard in this game like Rob Dillingham is, if you're especially without DJ Wagner. But I thought Ziegler, I mean, 26 points, 13 assists to just two turnovers, three steals on the other end. He was incredible. Ziegler you was, kick- I mean, that's a New York style point guard game, man. That's that's a New York play. You know what? And we've seen this for three years. It's so hard to get him rattled. Even at that, like you put size on him, you would think a smaller guy would be bothered by maybe a quick big guy. You can't speed him up unless he wants to be sped up because he reads screens so well. If you play under like Kentucky for some reason, kept dropping under screens, well, he's just going to still get to the rim and do what he wants. If you don't close out high enough, he's not the three-point shooter of old where you could leave Zakai Ziegler open. He's going to bury threes on you. He hit three of them tonight, three of six, wide open. So he's a problem to have to defend. He's another one of those lineage of small guards that are just a nightmare. And then not even talking about defensively what he puts on you. Early part of the game when they're up 8 nothing, Reed Shepard was running point guard. He wanted no part of the ball. He wanted no part of the ball because Zakai Ziegler was up in his shorts trying to take the ball from him and making life miserable. I mean, I thought this was a brilliant performance by Tennessee all night long. They didn't really put too many feet or put a foot wrong too much in this game. Viscovi, I, what I wrote down is that with Connect only having 16 and a quiet 16 where it was kind of weird, it was the veteran Tennessee guys who's been there for three, four years under Rick Barnes, watched this program build. Those were the guys who stepped up. Zakai Ziegler, as we've talked about, 26 points, 13 assists. Jo- Josiah Jordan-James, 26 points. Vescovi had 11, but he hit three threes. He's not been doing that a lot lately. Jonas Adu, 11 points. What do you end Double-double? Yeah, 11 and 11. Um, so it was the old, kind of the old guard of Tennessee carried on this game while Connect didn't necessarily play a great game, still end up with 16. That's how talented this dude is. Let's talk about Kentucky, unfortunately. We know the defensive issues. They gave up two, again, back-to-back, baseline, out-of-bounds, underneath, lobs to Dalton Connect. How? It's communication. Go zone. When you keep Georgia and South Carolina and Arkansas – and now uh, over Florida and then Tennessee, all in a row, abuse you on the same inbounds plays. Go zone. Stop trusting your man because obviously your players are not communicating and they're getting lost in a simple action. Go zone, at least for the out-of-bounds underneath. Make them throw it back to half court. I mean, it's ridiculous, the concentration. We talked with Brandon Ramsey about this Thursday. Kentucky's defense would be so much better if not for the communication breakdowns, the lack of concentration, falling asleep on shooters, not not closing the airspace down enough, trailing too much, Adutiero and other guys ball watching. It's all concentration. It's all game plan. It's all scouting. It's all basketball IQ, and it's killing them defensively. Rob Dillingham, I'm full agreement. He's got to start. Even when Wagner comes back, I think you start DJ Wagner. Because, again, we talked about on Thursday, Kentucky at that time was 0-2 in games when he did not play. We'll make it 0-3 now. And 
I don't know if they'll win again if he doesn't play. That's how important this guy is to them. Um, I, I would start DJ. I would start Rob. And then Antonio and whoever. Trey Mitchell's had another. He scored a big goose egg. Trey Mitchell scored as many points as the four of us did tonight. And that can't happen. He's going through a slump. To, he's going through a slump. The last three, four games, he's not been good. And that could be fatigue because he played a lot of minutes early when we didn't have any bigs. But he cannot be that bad. Uh, Justin Edwards, I thought, had stretches where he played okay. He had seven points, but that's about all you're going to get from him now. Um, and then, of course, Rob. Rob. Rob carried us. 35 points. If he had any help at all, if we could play any defense at all, when I said earlier, when we got the game to two or three or four points, there's a chance we win this game and still play like a D-minus defensive game. So the offense is always going to be there. Still put up 92. But – I text you guys. I text Trev and Peyton earlier. I said, we've got an F defense. If we just had a C-plus defense, imagine how good this team would be. Just a C-plus. We're not even talking about an elite defense like t Tennessee and Houston and all these. Give Kentucky a C-plus defense, and they've got maybe two losses. Kansas for sure at the beginning of the year, and then maybe tonight Tennessee the way they played. They beat South Carolina, they beat Florida, and they beat UNC Wilmington. Just with a C plus defense, it's embarrassing, brother. If you think this is an F defense, watch one Georgetown basketball game. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm gonna have another ticker soon that'll have we can't make it one podcast without mentioning Georgetown basketball's downfall. <laughs> I'm gonna have two tickers: one over here with Louisville, one over here with Georgetown. Oh, this all is right, be right. Great. We, no. Louisville won today. So no, no, you, you missed you missed Thursday. We talked I, about we we need a counter of like I'll not talking about them at some. Oh, good. I'll, well, then I yeah. watch the show. Um, really quick, you mentioned like who you would start. I think you're right on that. Like you figure out a way to have the Wagner, you know, you got to figure something out there. Um, I get my point is, I guess I saw Wagner last year and like, he seems like this incredible offensive player. And I know there's some spots that I had concerns about. And to think that they're zero and three, it has to be defensive impact, right? I'd love to sit down and we need to we need to look more into that, right? Just leadership, like, got to be leadership, leadership, like, like, the, sure. a dog. Because think about it, how many layups in the last couple of games has Kentucky missed point blank at the rim? DJ normally makes those, one hundred percent. He does. He yeah. normally makes those, so those extra points defensively. Again, not a great defensive team, but DJ's kind of that guy you could have stuck on Zakai Ziegler and gave him a little bit of problems and kind of blown up yeah. some stuff tonight. That's his importance. To the see. foot speed might not have been there, but his physical. I mean, he is, yeah. he is like from from point, finger point, finger point, fingertip to fingertip. When his arms are out, the chest is there. Like he's a super physical player right there in the in the middle of the body. So yeah, no, I agree with that. I just think it's interesting. I have a question that came to my mind at some point in the second half when the game was close. Do you still like? I, I two weeks ago I'd have told you that if I if you gave me I can only pick one of the two teams to make the final four, right? Say they not played each other, but like just I could only have one or the other, right? I would have still told you it was Kentucky two weeks ago, right? Before these two, obviously, both lost to South Carolina, who also beat Georgia to, uh, earlier today. Shout out to South yeah. Carolina. They're officially in my top 25. I'll figure it out. Don't care. Um, shout out to the guy on Twitter for for hounding me for that. But the question, I guess, is like, would you? Would we all still have Kentucky in the final? I know the head-to-head, -head, right? Not they won't play each other. You would not. Not a chance. Not a I think chance. I still and, and, feel better about Tennessee. I agree. I think I still feel better about Tennessee. This obviously puts a stamp on that. You mentioned the 100-point thing about you know, Carolina did that, and y'all put 92 up on it. It's not like their defense was elite today by any means, right? But I just – I don't feel – obviously, of course, with a result like this, I'm going to be clouded by that result. But I think Tennessee, like, regardless of the 92 points, like, I just – you have to feel really good about them as a final mm -hmm. contender. Yeah, well, you, you also, do. Let's say Kentucky in the second round – in their second round matchup goes up against a particularly intricate offense. 
Like let's say Kentucky beats a 14 round one and they go up against a six or an 11 that has a really interesting offense and really intricate offense. Indiana That's state. Terrible spot for them. That's, Indiana, yeah. Indiana yeah. state would be brutal. So here's the thing. And I'm glad you brought, I was actually gonna bring this point up. So it's like, we're on the same brainwave here. Um, how my, 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 how much three weeks changes perspectives in this sport? Because three weeks ago, prior to the South Carolina game coming, and I, I don't think it's quite three weeks, so you know what I'm saying. Prior to the South Carolina game coming off the Georgia game where we had them railroaded, we were all talking Kentucky Final Four, National Championship, all this other stuff. They've lost four of seven now. They've lost four of their last seven. And it's like the defense does not get better. They can obviously score on anybody. Tennessee's got an elite defense. They still put 92, and it was never really in doubt. That's the scary thing. I don't think Kentucky can make the Final Four now. I don't know. Like, seed line, depending on how the rest of the season falls out, I'm expecting to be like a seven seed now, unfortunately. Now, if you're a two seed, you might hate that, potentially. But I'm expecting falls like a seven when the final bracket comes out in March. It's so match dependent. It really I, is. I don't. Yeah, and here's the thing. I don't want to get too down because I want to keep things in perspective because I've seen teams get red hot before. I've seen Kentucky teams get red hot, but all those Kentucky teams were at least top 50, top 55 defensively. This team has potential one game at a time in March, the way they score. Regardless of how you play defense, you're going to have to score with them. Yeah. And so there's always going to be that opportunity that they could get hot and a team misses in the tournament with tight rims, new atmosphere, you know, neutral sites, all this other stuff, that they could go on a run and still make the Final Four. But my confidence level is low because these guys, it's February. We're two-thirds of the way in, and you're still making the mistakes that you would make, not even in games in November. You're making the mistakes you're making in practice in October. Just common mistakes of not communicating, not following through with your guys, not checking blockouts, not calling out screens, not – all this stuff. And then Coach Cal, if my team's that shitty defensively, man, I think I'm mixing it up and going zone some possessions. I'm sorry. Like really coach I, in America would. Yes, exactly. You're going zone. You're doing anything to junk the game up to help your defense out, and he won't do it. So my confidence level from three weeks ago where I thought it's like an 85 90% chance we can make Phoenix, maybe extreme, but I'm at like a 20%, 25%. I think we can win a couple of games in the tournament, make second weekend because we're just going to outgun somebody. But I think the road ends maybe sweet 16 at best. And that's unfortunate because this team has so much potential to be fun. We've seen it through this year, Rob Dillingham and all the great players. But I think it's going to end in disappointment, unfortunately. You mentioned the, you know, we mentioned matchup dependency and that kind of thing. Like they just have to, I know how the committee thinks and you put a, these, a bunch of these big blue buds into these, everyone, every year everyone calls it the region of death, right? Like one of these big blue buds, that's going to start slight. You have to have positive momentum because they're not going to stick you in a four to seven line. I'm assuming that's where they would fluctuate it depending on the rest of the results of the season. Again, no back bracketologist, always an asterisk with me there. But the point being is there's always a bracket of death. And if they get the bracket of death, the defense is not going to be able to withstand that run. And I think that plays in your Sweet 16 thing. If they get put in any other bracket, we know what I'm talking about, right? Like, there's always mm -hmm. just one where you're like, oh, my God, who's surviving this one by the Elite Eight? Like, someone's going to be like not standing by the end of it, right? And if they, if they can avoid that somehow, I think they can beat anybody. But I think that one bracket, that just the momentum of game over game defensively, you're playing 
you know, one day's rest in a lot of these situations, obviously. And it's really, really tough for a team like that that's already not so strong defensively to learn from those mistakes that quickly, even in March. And Peyton DeRosa, I'll give you guys one last point on this because we have to start wrapping this up. Um, again, to the point, no matter how bad their defense is, when it comes March, you got to have a team that can outshoot them or outscore them because it doesn't matter how good you play defense. If you can't score with them stride for stride, you still can't beat them. But it's got to take a team that can play strong, tough defense, be physical with them on the glass, and that can just outgun them on one night. Peyton, your thoughts, final thoughts on this, and I'll give DeRosa final thoughts before we start wrapping up. The point you made about them potentially falling down to like a six or a seven seed, when you initially said that, I was like, there's no fucking way. Like, there's just no way. But now I'm looking at your schedule and who you've beat. You really, you only have really like one marquee win, and that's the North Carolina win. You went yeah, into Florida and beat them, plus a win. You beat Georgia at home. But other than that, mm-hmm. I mean, you beat the shit out of Miami, but Miami ain't really shit right now. Miami lost to Louisville, so they're dog shit. Um, you really have one marquee win on that schedule. And it's a big one. It's a big one. It's a huge one. Like yeah. it's a huge one. Don't get me wrong. Um, you got this Gonzaga game that's coming up next week. Next Saturday will tell a lot. It'll tell three a lot. weeks ago. I said Kentucky was just gonna beat the shit out of them because it was at home. I'm having second thoughts on that because for one, Gonzaga's starting to play a little bit better. They're getting a little bit of the mojo back and they're getting a little bit of confidence. So that's important. And second of all, this whole being a Rupp Arena home court advantage, Three I'm, not, I'm not feeling it anymore. This ain't Three the Rupp. Losses. I told Josh. I told Josh this earlier today. This ain't the Rupp of old. That no. home court advantage is not what it used to be. They've already lost to UMC Wilmington at home. They lost to Florida at home. And now they lost to Tennessee at home. Back to back losses in the home building. By the way, keep that in mind. Yep. And it could be three in a row because they go play Vanderbilt on, at Vanderbilt on Tuesday. And then they get the home game against Gonzaga. That could be three home losses in a row. DJ Wagner, DeRosa, DJ Wagner has got to get back or they're going to keep taking L's. Or you got to put Rob Billingham in a certain lineup and just run him out there because at least with uh, Gonzaga, just matchup specifically, Gonzaga's not a deep team. And they're only up one right now at St. Mary's at home. That's actually been a fairly interesting game. Uh, but yeah, uh, you guys covered it all with Kentucky. Uh, you, I got nothing else to add. The it's net backs up the bet. The net backs up Peyton's point two and four in quad one, three and one in quad two, four and one in quad three, including that UNCW uh loss. Which, by the way, UNCW is a lot better team than uh people are giving credit for, and six and oh in quad four. So, damn good coach, that has to matter. That has to matter whenever they start getting into these SEC wins. They only have you know, they just can't lose to Mississippi State, they can't lose to Georgia, and they can't lose to Arkansas. Those are the three you just can't lose to for your momentum. And obviously, those games are two of them at home, one of them at Bud Walton. I will say this. I'm at the point of apathy that no fan wants to be at. Meaning, I'm at the point where we'll ride the rest of the season out. I know there's going to be more losses, but I still have in the back of my mind that we've talked about. Get in the tournament, see what the hell happens. This team can outscore anybody in the country. And maybe maybe we outscore four teams in a row and make a Final Four. Who knows? I Uh, sat down and watched a team the entire time lose by 40 Fucking points, and Tell you're apathetic about a home loss to Tennessee. Tell like him, DeRosa, forty get his points. Ass. Come on, man. Hey, oh there's a God. there's this thing. George Town shirt under this. Coming. The, the, there's a fucking points. <laughs> the largest there's... Big East loss this season. 
There, there's on. things called standards, and uh, we're not meeting them. Look, we got to wrap this up. Uh, games, other games, real quick, you want to touch on? Uh, Penn State beat Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, by 14, yeah. 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 Uh, Son had Baylor very got concerned. shafted by the officials. That should oh not have my been a game. God. Should not have been a game. Baylor should have won that game by 15. I mean, I, I'm i very salty. I lost my Baylor minus three and a half bet. I'm not going to lie. But Baylor played so much better than Iowa State for 80% of the game. And the only time they didn't was when the officials gave a technical to Scott Drew because he was out of the coaching. Out of the, yeah. <laughs> took a step in front of the coaching box while the kid was shooting free throws on the other end, and they gave him a tech. Then they they're cracking the down on it right though. They're, they're 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 having to be consistent with that call. I'm not, I'm with you. It sucks. We're not except being for, consistent with that call. Except for, Kyle Neptune I, was standing on the floor next to Jamil Telford. Telford hits was. a three, says get off the court, and Neptune complains to the official. The motherfucker was standing on the court. <laughs> yeah, Scott Drew takes a step forward Wait. when no one's near him, and they go whack. And then they and give then, the bench a technical whack. whack. Baylor gets uh, Iowa State gets whack. eight points from that. Baylor love, gets, it's the worst whistle whack. I've seen all season. Worst and whistle then, I've seen all season. I'm and then very Shaka, about that. Shaka can be on the floor. Shaka's a sixth defender. Shaka's a sixth defender. He's over there playing defense. <laughs> he is a sixth defender. Trev, you got a couple games you want to talk about real quick, and then we got to yeah, go. Um, Texas, I think we all underestimated him too early. I think we really did. They're 15 and 7, 4 and 5 this in the Big 12. Winning. The, the, the weirdest, the weirdest record, though, they've lost at home a handful of times, and then their big wins are on the road. So they've got a That's weird resume. Exactly why I think we doubted them, because I think they're that good to cut, start to figure things out a little bit. Um, that TCU win's incredible. St. John's kept it close against UConn. And then I'll give a shout-out to the CAA as a whole, continuing to be the heart attack league of the mid-major conference. Uh, I was flipping between halfway through this Tennessee game. UNCW was playing Campbell. Uh, first home game after a three-game road stint, uh, including a game at Charleston that they won. I talked about on Thursday. Campbell, uh, you know, brought them down to a three-point game at the end. So UNCW only won by three. I think that's telling to both teams a little bit that UNCW is resilient in the fight. And then Campbell's have been really good lately, as I've mentioned many times. And uh, now I think there's plenty more I could pluck around, but. Just an incredible, incredible day in college basketball. The multiple multi-box I had to be in and just all the results that you tried to have to follow. Auburn had a big win on the road. Just, I mean, you know, I, I know I mentioned the other day that there was this, I felt like it was very top-heavy, right? Like once it was top-heavy, it kind of felt like there was a few notable bubble results. Wake Forest blew out Syracuse, like completely just flattered them, uh, splattered them. But other than that, I just feel like South Carolina got a big win, but it was a great game. Great day. All Before we get out, shout out to the best 15 and 7 team in college basketball, the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yep. They 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 beat Texas Tech on the road today by three. You look at their losses. They've got one bad loss, is what you'd consider. They lost last or on Wednesday at West Virginia, but still on the road. They've lost at Xavier by five. They've lost a game against Dayton, who's really good by 14. They've lost by one to Texas, by three to Baylor. By four to Oklahoma, by five to Kansas. Isn't that crazy? One, two, three, four, five. And then they lost on the road to West Virginia by four. They don't get blown out. They keep games very competitive. They are a handful. If I mean, if they can beat Houston at home on next Saturday and then don't drop too many stinkers, if they can get like 20-some wins, I think they make the tournament. Shout out West Miller and company. That team's a hard team to play against. 29th in Ken Palm, Cincinnati is. So that's a hard team to play and team to keep an eye out on too because they're 15th defensive, defensively nationally. They will keep things competitive. I'd like to see them get in the tournament from the Big 12 in the first year there. I'd love to see it. But 
wrapping up a crazy Saturday. We went a little longer than normal, but it's okay. We had a lot to talk about. You got one last thing, Garissa? Yeah, uh, just one thing quickly on Cincinnati 1. Uh, play a real schedule is what I would say. Play a real non-conference schedule, uh, and you could be in position. That said, their guards are electric. Dede Thomas, Jizzle James, those two can play. Uh, that's one. Two, this game just ended, uh, but I know friend of the show was very high on this kid. Quincy Oliveri just went for 43. Oh, yeah, for Xavier, yeah. Uh, it was DePaul, but he had 43 points, 7 to 12 from 3, 10 boards. That's a pretty and good game. Rice is winning without him. They are on a two-game roads or two-game winning streak Shout here. Out and they're Scott Perra, starting yeah. to figure things out. That Bellarmine Queens game was incredible today, too. By the way, shout out to Brian Wilmer for the coverage on that. Just, I mean, again, I know the top-heavy stuff I mentioned many times, but just college basketball never disappoints. Texas A&M got a big win after being down pretty big early to Florida. They held yep. home court, got a big win. LSU blew out Arkansas. A lot of great stuff DC today. Richmond. That's a another lot one. of. Yeah, a lot of great stuff today in the world of college basketball. Major games, but Kansas, North Carolina, Tennessee were the three big winners of the three marquee top ten matchups tonight. We appreciate you guys staying late with us on the ECB After Hours. We try to do these after the big nights of college basketball. We'll let you know on the next one. But until next time, for Peyton, DeRosa, Trev, and myself, we hope you guys enjoyed this, and we'll catch you down the road. Go get some sleep, ladies and gentlemen. It's only February.